This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast and tonight we're going to do something just a little bit different. For those who have been watching the Besotted Twitter feed or you've been following Besotted for the last six or seven months, you would have shared in our journey to produce the Brentford Revolution book, which causes the Brentford's rise from pretty much the basement of the basement. We were at one stage looking like we were going to go out of the Football League and out of existence under Terry Butcher to the very pinnacle, the very top of the Premier League. And that's where we sat after that Arsenal game on the first Premiership match in our, in our history. So, you know, it, it's been a, a remarkable rise. And this, this book, The Brentford Revolution, it, 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 it chronicles chapter and verse all the way through that journey. Um, I wrote it with uh, Tim Street. Who's uh, you know a, a well-respected journalist who's covered Brentford for for many years. I'll introduce him in a minute. And obviously, um, through publishing Besotted, we've reported on every every twist and turn in Brentford's history back to the 1990s. So when when Matthew Benham took over, you know there was obviously a lot of uh, skepticism and mystery about the man, but he's played just the biggest role in the transformation of our club. Um, so, yeah, so introduce uh, around the table tonight. I'm Dave Lane, um, editor of Besotted, along with Bill Grant, um, who's still out in Qatar. Um, I've got Tim Street with me. Hello, Tim. How are you, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, nice to be there. Thank you. And I've got John Restall, who is Brentford season ticket holder for God knows how many years. He's been a contributor to Besotted for God knows how many years as well. Um, and he's been one of those that's read the book and I thought it was important to get someone who wasn't only just writing it, someone who can critique it as well. Yeah, um, and I appreciate the cash bung you've given me to 
give it um, several reviews on Amazon, Dave. So that's all right. Thank you for that. I mean, these, these Amazon roles are important. How are you, John? Anyway? Yeah, no, I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good. I've been enjoying enjoying the World Cup. I've been enjoying Billy reporting back from the World <coughs> Cup. I'm sure we've all seen that every time we've turned on a telly or, or the radio. But um, no, very good, thank you. And actually, uh, unplanted, I have been enjoying the book. It's been a lovely reminisce, but actually reminds you of how far we've come. I've enjoyed remembering some of those heroes we've had along the way, some of the ups and downs. Um, so I'm sure like a lot, a lot of people who've read it or want to read it might be getting it from Santa if they've been good boys and girls. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've very much enjoyed reading it, so thank you for having me along tonight to talk it's about it. Absolute pleasure. I mean, actually, that's, that's a pretty good place to start. I mean, describe the book. I mean, you know, we've, we've written it, we know it, we know it intimately. You, you describe it. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping for more pictures to guide me through it, but um, no, it's... It's basically a, a, a blend of um, storytelling through, the, through the, the words of people associated with the club through that time, whether that's players, managers, supporters, um, mixed with you know, the facts of what's actually gone on, a bit of opinion in there as well, but, but actually it's just telling the story of Brentford's incredible rise from you know, the days we were... Um, there were supporters shaking buckets outside the, the ground, the days we, we almost collapsed as a club, through to where we are now, which is a brilliantly run club, where our worst player would have been probably our best player for eight or ten of the seasons that, that we talked about in the book. So that's how I've read it and I've enjoyed it. It's, it's, t it's told um, with the good news, the big reveals at the start, so that's, that's handy if you, you don't want to read the whole thing. Uh, which is the arrival in the Premier League, but yeah, it, it's just been a wonderful journey. So the, the gestation of this book really is the the promotion to the Premier League. You know, uh, it, it, it was a, a little while after the, the the brilliant day at Wembley that I was driving through London, stuck in a traffic jam, and I was just itching to start writing about this this journey, and you know, um, having published. You know, several Brentford books, um, mostly photo books and history books. Um, I wanted, I wanted to be the one that wrote it, and I, and I didn't want to write it all myself. And Tim is someone that had been contributing to Besotted fairly recently, and it, he was the natural person who to, to co-write it with me. He, he's been at the coalface um, every step of the way, you know, writing for the, the Chronicle and, and online and online um, websites all, all about Brentford. Tim, tell us a little bit more about you and your your Brentford history and um, your, your your journalism. So I've been a Brentford fan since roughly the early 90s, always enjoyed writing, uh, done a degree in journalism, came out of that into, into the Middlesex Chronicle, which was somewhere I sort of targeted to, for doing work experience because I knew it was the Brentford paper, so it's somewhere where we want to get a bit of a foot in. Work experience led to becoming a, a junior reporter there, done a few years doing that, and uh, we had a guy called John Lyons doing uh, the Brentford reporting there at the time. He was he was certainly part of the furniture, and he didn't look like he was going to leave any time soon. So uh, three, three years on, I'd done my uh, done my seniorship and started to think, what do I do next? And then suddenly, out of the blue, uh, John announces that he's leaving to go travelling. So I was given the <clears throat> sports editor role on, on an interim basis for a few weeks, done a right of it, so I gave him a job full time, and that was it. Landed my, my dream job. So you I mean so you you were writing about Brentford at the at the time where this story starts, yeah? 
Yeah, so we're talking kind of after I started writing about Brentford for the Chronicle in the sort of Martin Allen era, and it's after after that that things started falling apart a bit. Um, the, 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 the first season that we really kind of focused on was, ironically, Brentford's worst season ever. I mean, stats bear it up. You know, I, I remember writing a piece on it for the Chronicle. It was statistically our worst football league season ever. And uh, Paul, Paul Leroy Senior, who's a, a lovely bloke, but was just given a, a, the, the worst cards to play with. And then, uh, and then Scott Fitzgerald, relegated by Easter. And then, uh, well, <laughs> another terrible season followed. And, can, I, uh, can I ask a question, Tim? Yeah, yeah. Because like, like you, you said this is your dream job. Yeah. yeah. The team that you love, you're having to, to write probably quite harsh words about at the time. You're having to you know, critique those managers who, who are trying their best, who are trying, you know, Leroy tried to do something different but with the wrong set of players. Um, how, how, how do you balance that with being a Brentford fan? It's, it's not easy at times. Um, pr- probably a lot harder. Uh, I, mean, I mean, Leroy, as I said, is a lovely bloke and by then, ev- I mean, everyone knew he'd been dealt a bad hand, you know, the, the, there was no money. He, he'd had to put together a, a, a squad from scratch. So uh, everyone kind of, you know, and, and Leroy knew it as well. But under Mark Allen, for example, you know, again, great guy. But um, Brentford were in a much better position under him. But there were still some bad performances. You know, you got a critique. You got to, uh, you know, we, we failed in the playoffs twice. I, and I, uh, I can remember Martin Allen <coughs> stopping a certain fanzine editor who sat around the table in the street after a, a, crit, a, crit, a critical match report of. Um, I think it was I lost to Burnley, was it? Yes, it was me, wasn't it? Uh, Dave, and and you got Martin's eyes, didn't you, that day in the street? That's the first time I saw the mad dog stare, yeah, yeah. I I could be quite intense, couldn't it? Yeah, Yeah. you know, so writing about Brentford being not very good, I mean, being being absolutely awful is is something that... the modern-day journalists haven't got a right about. Yeah, we yes, we lose games still, but we're losing games against the best teams in the land. We're not losing against Rochdale and mm. and Gillingham. You know, I'm not knocking those because they're we, we did lose it. As we, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, yeah, something's <laughs> never changed. But uh, yeah, you know, we were we were losing regularly at home. You know, three or fours um, on, on the spin. You know, in the in the basement, they were hard times, but. You know, that's, that's just kind of the contrast between now and then. You know, never in our wildest dreams would we have ever dared to actually think it was possible that we would be in the top flight. You know, obviously that's something we always wished could happen, but never ever did we really think it was possible. You know, so again, you know, this is why this book in my opinion it had to be written and had to be written by people that I knew had been there all, all, all the way through it because it's impossible it's almost like a, it's almost like a joke isn't it you know we, we referenced that match at Peterborough where we lost 7-0 seven, seven Simon Brown sent off after 2 minutes yeah that's the one you know that, that's, pro- that's probably like the ultimate contrast in, in, in the book if I'm right there, wasn't there a goal where the Peterborough player dropped to his knees and headed the ball over the line which is that wasn't in that game that, oh, was, that, oh. that, that was another miserable defeat at London Road <laughs> we, we lost 5-1 one year and it was Andy Clark former Wimbledon striker got down on his Again, they all they all blur, <laughs> don't they? Unfortunately, yeah. but you're right. I mean, that seven 0 was probably the, the zenith of our 
poorness, wasn't it? I mean, there, there, there were worse games, you know, losing at home to Dagenham and Redbridge and then the, the Morecambe and Grimsby games back-to-back that done for Butcher. But when you look back, it, it really is that 7-0. I, I can remember uh, my, my lowest point as a fan was when a player, a player we all liked at the time, John Bassino, he was probably our mm. post-Martin and... We were in a cup game, I think it might have been the goal where it might have been Doncaster and the ball went through the net from McCammon and it didn't count and yeah, they actually had a goal. Ghost goal. And we got we had a corner, like we hadn't been out of our half, we had a corner and the ball dropped to Massinho at the edge of the box and everyone shouted shoot, but he managed to control it away from goal, chase after it, volley it in the air to avoid another tackle, chase after it, volley it in the air to avoid another tackle, and we ended up giving a throw in on the edge of our own box <laughs> from a corner and it was our the player that was meant to be our hope at that point who'd done it and it sort of summed that low point up for me really was that not, was that not Matthias Jensen's fault I, I think yeah <laughs> obviously it has later transpired that it was Jensen's fault so. yeah so I mean you know I, I say again, you know, you, you, we can't talk about the great times, you know, the Man United 4-0 win, which is probably where the, the, the book kind of finishes up. We, you know, we, we include, you know, Ivan Tony being called up to the England squad. We know how that panned out and he didn't make it to the World Cup, but him actually being called up as a Brentford player was an incredible moment. So that, that and the Man United 4-0 uh, win this season is where the book kind of, ends but we, we, we go every step along the way and it's mad isn't it because we uh, I remember speaking to you the day after we beat Man United 4-0 and we said this is where we've got to finish the book because that is the zenith that is that is the peak of, of where this is going and then uh, you know a few months later we're beating Man City on their own turf and you just think no this isn't the peak this is going to keep going and going until you know <laughs> Until yeah. we do We're going to win group. the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, well, spoiler alert: the, the final chapter is like we win the uh, European Cup under <laughs> Ian Holloway's our manager. Do you know That's what? We, we we might laugh about it, but I think European football was one of the things sort of mentioned and thrown about in the last chapter, wasn't it? By uh, by the likes of uh, Phil Giles and uh, and John Varney, and uh, it's something that's just not out of question, is it? You know. No. It, I mean, we're not talking Champions League, but you know, yeah. UEFA Cup, uh, sorry, European, Cup, out, European Conference, <laughs> Europa League. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you can get into these competitions now by finishing as as low down as seventh and eighth, can't you? So yeah. that is not beyond the realms of possibility at all. No, and that, I mean, we we spoke, um, you know, later on in the book, we were fortunate to have access to Phil Giles, Rasmus Ankerson, and, and Thomas Frank, and John Varney as well. So they they speak about the future of the club. Um, you know, it, it, this isn't as, as Tim said. This isn't where the Brentford story ends. Hopefully, this is just kind of like a holding pattern while we regroup, get used to our <coughs> salubrious surroundings, and and kind of be able to kick on again. And we, we've seen some of the incredible transfer fees that we, we've been paying, especially in the summer just gone. Um, but that 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 doesn't seem to be ending either. Um, not that you know I'm privy to anything that might happen in this January window. But Phil Giles talks um, a lot about you know um, this this they're not phased by it. I think I think as fans we we are a little bit still. We're, we're still getting used to you know little old Brentford being here for, for them. You know, for, for, for John Varney, for, for Thomas Frank and for, you know, Rasmus and Phil and, and, and you know, um, Matt Benham himself. They're, they're high-end professional people. 
they're, they're not they're not kind of like pinching themselves every morning mm. and going oh my god I can't believe we're here they're, 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 they're already planning for that next mm. phase and that comes across loud and clear in the book as well doesn't it Tim not only that but it's, it's evident of the, the whole culture that you see throughout the book and you and it's evident when you speak to guys like uh, Raz like uh, Phil like John Varney like Matthew um, you know it's when things go wrong, it's cool, calm, collected, no worries. And when things are going brilliantly, you know, beating Man United 4 0, beating Man City on our own patch, again, you know, it'll be like, yeah, well, you know, let's not get overboard about this. It's, it's just part of uh, it's what we do, it's a natural progression of what we do. Yeah, this is certainly that comes across loud and clear. I mean, obviously, I know some of the people. Um, through you know, through the years of doing the, the fanzine, the podcast, we've had access and done interviews with them. So I'm, I've become familiar with the way they are. Um, but there's always been a, a kind of a humble uh, confidence where um, they they just they're good people doing great work, and it's very much the Brentford way. And, and I think that's that's something that comes across throughout you know it's not been it's not been success after success after success of course we've been growing every every year we've, we've been improving our position or getting stronger or it, it didn't always feel like that though did it it felt sometimes like two steps forward and one step back there were there were um, and, and I know but that's there, still there, one step forward well it's, that is still one <laughs> step forward but when you're doing sometimes we did the one step back first um, the I think as supporters, one of the things we've really had to come to terms with, which is really hard to come to terms with, is selling your best player. And if as a club we hadn't have done that, if we hadn't have sold players at our perceived peak, and a lot of them we did sell at a peak, um, we wouldn't be where we are now. And the way I tried to justify it to myself was that like we were lucky to see Ollie Watkins for two years or whatever because we didn't have, have him we'd have had a journeyman in previous seasons so actually trying to enjoy the players while they're with us which is a really hard thing to think about but actually the, the richness of the players and, and in a few minutes if, if it's alright I want to go through some of the players the years we've had through the duration of the book because you can see that progression of players but the um, that's, that's a hard thing as a fan to take and there, I think there are still elements of our support who find it really hard when we're talking about selling players. The reality is some of the players we have in our team at the moment will be wanted by clubs with bigger resources and bigger finances than ourselves. And that's that's hard to take, it's hard to even think about now. We didn't really sell any players this summer um, that we really wanted to keep. Ericsson left, but he wasn't asked to keep. Um, but beyond that, we didn't really let any of the cream go. Yeah. And, and at some point, someone's gonna come in for one of our players, but we have to learn to stop again. And it's very much, you know, again, that comes through loud and clear in the book, doesn't it, Tim? It's, it's, an, it's an education, it's been an education and a journey for, for all of us. And, and sometimes it hasn't been easy to see that the events are necessarily for the better. Yeah, it also shows the progression of the, the, the club's philosophy. I mean, John was talking about um, selling your best players. Back in the day, we would sell the likes of DJ Campbell and Nicky Forster in a January transfer window and completely mess up our promotion campaigns as a result. And it'd be like, oh, same old Brentford. Now we're selling, although the last few years, we sell our best players and you would see why, why we're doing it. You know, you would, you, would, you would see the money reinvested into not necessarily better players, but, but bargain players and 
players that would take us to the next level. And sometimes it would be better players as well. And they're the players that have taken us to where we are now. Not only that, but whereas a lot, you know, bless them, Nicky and DJ, great players, but, you know, we'd be selling players now that are going on to become England internationals, Premier League stars. You know, that's, that shows how far we've come. And something that I, it, it jumps out, something that Phil Giles said to me when I asked him, it was towards the back end of the, uh, the interview I did with him. Um, I said, when, when do you think we'll start noticing that when we, we now we're spending 20 million pounds on players, that they are incredibly, they're much, much more um, uh, an improvement on, on what we had before. Um, and he said, you might not. And I said, well, what do you mean you might, we might not? He went, well, we sold, we sold Ollie Watkins and Saeed Ben Rama. They're 30 million pound players. We already had 30 million pound players. To, to get players as good as them, we're going to have to pay, spend 30 million quid or more. So, you know, it, it's, again, hearing, hearing it explained, I know, I know some people, you, you know, it, it's obvious, but I think there's always a temptation that, you know, um, a player's ability is always linked to their, their, their value and what we pay for them. And that's not always the case, you know. Um, we, we may not be you know, un, unearthing um, Vitaly, you're now half a million pound gems anymore. Um, we might be paying a lot more for that, but that's just like, um, that's just goes with the territory, doesn't it, John? Yeah, I, I think that's the point, and, and um, this is maybe a beautiful segue into my story of the players. Because for me, as a fan, I, you know, someone described being a football fan as, as remembering moments of joy, and I, th I think that's the point. I don't remember whole seasons. I don't re sometimes remember the weekend before. I try and blank it out, but you remember some wins, some moments in a season, some moments on a pitch. But you definitely remember those players who stood out along the way. So I, I went back and looked at our Player of the Year. Um, for the last sort of 14 years or so, from, from around the time of the start of the book. And it's really interesting to see the progression there. So we go back to 2008, 2009, into 2010, and our two players of the year were Sam Woods, followed by Leon Legg. And they were um, players who we really plucked from non-league, from Bromley, from Tunbridge Angels, who were very much those players you wanted to see come in and do well. But Legg in particular was quite agricultural, right? And I can remember when we sold him, there were some supporters who were up in arms, but it's because we needed to move to playing football from the back. Yeah, 100%. You know, we, we, we literally, you know, we, we metamorphosized into, in, you know, every step of the way. And that's it. And, and, and that, that continues. So as you roll through the next set of players, the next one's Richard Lee. Richard probably was in there because of some of his, we had a good cut run that season. I can remember his debut was at a friendly loss against Fulham, 5 0 where he. 5 0, wasn't it? Yeah. By his own admission, he wasn't fully fit, but yeah. you know, he, he went on to become a hero. Um, we then move into slightly more assured players. Actually, Richard Lee is someone that plays a central role in this book, doesn't he, Tim? You, 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 you spoke to him, um, and he speaks at length about his role um, and his time at the club, and he reflects on how far we've come. He does, yeah. I, I, I like Richard Lee's uh, outlook on life. He's, he's quite philosophical. He likes to think about things uh, deeply and he, he does give some quite interesting insights into, uh, into the kind of era, not only that he played in, but also the, the era we're, we're in now and, uh, and, and, and how he uses it in his, in his current coaching capacity. So, so yeah, so, so Richard really was sort of a rags to riches in one season. And then the, the next three players I've kind of clustered together from 2012 to 2015, uh, sorry, 11 to 14. First of all, there's, you've got Jonathan Douglas, 
followed by Clayton Donaldson and then Alan McCormack. Now, Douglas and McCormack were both players we'd taken from Swindon, and we'd been neck and neck with Swindon until the playoff. I, I don't even remember the playoff game in, in, in the heat of Griffin Park. I think it's probably the closest I, I came to Philly. I was about to die within you know, 120 minutes. It was sweltering hot, it was packed. Like my, my, my heart was beating at 120 miles an hour. That was, was post Trotter, wasn't it? it, it, it well, exactly. Yeah. You know, Tony Craig stepped <laughs> up the tape. Pe- and there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. No, it scored. Um, but that was when we just started taking maybe some better players from other clubs. Donaldson perhaps was the first of those gems we unearthed actually. A player maybe not quite as fancied elsewhere who turned into a hero here. And then the, the next player is, is another player we kind of plucked pluck from obscurity. Tamani Diagaraga. You know, the heartbeat of, of, of our midfield and, and he'd been out on loan at Portsmouth as we got promoted the year before and then suddenly he, we're winning games in the championship with him at the heart of our midfield which was which was amazing I thought um, and then we hit a really weird one because we hit Alan Judge and I think Brentford stalled at this point and the reason I think we stalled was because we became utterly reliant on one player the, t- the entire tactic appeared to be getting it to Judgey hope for the best, see what happens. Um, and he was a brilliant player for us, and, and one, w- again, we would have actually sold for a lot of money, but unfortunately had that really bad uh, injury, which which was a shame for him and a shame for us. And, and to be fair to Judge, at that time, we didn't necessarily have the quality of players around him that we'd had in the previous year or two. But, so. but for me, this was where the new Brentford began, because mm. post, we all thought we were doomed when Judgey would go. But actually, without Alan Judge, we we arguably were a better team because we played as a team. Starts play as a team rather than as you say, relying on that. And I think player. over the yeah. years we've learned as Hogan moved into yeah, we saw that we saw that with Hogan as well. Though, exactly, exactly. And actually, we, we became better. Sixteen, seventeen player of the year is really interesting because it's Harley Dean, and <laughs> and Harley was a, you know, a young player. Again, we we took a young player who hadn't maybe made it a, a, a Premier League club, and and Harley obviously um, when he went to Birmingham and he made a, a lot money for the club which helps us buy better players um, he's much maligned because of you know the 10 times better comment but actually Polly was a good player for Brentford and um, he really cared and and I think sometimes that's good that, you know with, with how we look back Polly Dean was a vital part of our journey the next player is Ryan Woods he's maybe the, the nearest throwback to an old era in this in, in this more modern list he was a hard-working player with a bit of creativity at his heart we, we all loved his work rate, but his ability. But then suddenly, 
this is where you see the real step up in quality. So 70, uh, 18, 19 is Neil Morpay. Again, a player signed from, from second tier football in France, but he went on to be a, an amazing goal scorer for us. He's still playing in the Premier League. How do you replace Neil? Well, you replace him with Saeed Benrahma, arguably the most skillful player, still to this day actually, to have played for us. We've got some brilliantly talented players. Everyone can have this argument down the pub themselves, but for me, Saeed was the first player we had who could probably beat two players from a standing start. And then um, after him and, and the promotion season, you know, Watkins had gone, Saeed had gone, what do we do? We sign Ivan Tony, this wonderful, assured goal scorer who is, remains to this day talismanic for us. Obviously, there's a, you know, we don't know what's going on with Ivan with, with the, the betting investigation, but in his last game for, for us before this interview, he scored two goals at Manchester City. So that's the journey, Samward to Ivan Tony in several seasons. And, you know, yeah, I mean, that demonstrates the evolution perfectly, but running alongside that is the, uh, is the, the improvement in our coaching staff and, and the recruitment. You know, we, 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 we start the journey, um, as, as Tim said, you know, back with Leroy Rosinia and, and Terry Butcher, you know, but uh, from the interviews that within the book, we speak to Andy Scott um, at great length. Um, we, we speak to um, Uwe Rosler, which was an incredible interview. We both, we both sat on and Zoom called him in Mallorca. And, you know, he, he spoke for a long, long time about, you know, coming to the club um, put stamping his um, an ethos um, being in control um, of, of sign-ins before um, Matthew Benham decided to start using stats more um, what blew me away and I never thought we would get this interview was Mark Warburton he gave us a fresh uh, hour and a half where he spoke really openly and honestly um, and um, you know he, he speaks of regret and he speaks of if, if things were different but you know it's, it's an incredible um, listen and it's an incredible read that we've been able to use new words within that uh, Dean Smith um, we've got extensive interview um, footage from him and then Thomas, Thomas Frank you know, Mariners Dykehausen didn't go so well um, he was there for two seconds but Thomas Frank is someone we sat down with at the training ground last summer in the heat a bit different to how it is out there now but Thomas Very Frank fine. he spoke um, and he gave us a real real insight into that um, as I said you know the evolution for me I mean they're, they're all great people mm. to speak to for me Andy Scott was probably most interesting because he's someone that's been there the whole way through at, at different stages um, of course he started out as a Brentford player although that was before the, the sort of timeline that we're dealing with um, he was he was there as manager when we really started to, to build again after that terrible time under Rossinia Fitzgerald Butcher and so on um, got us promoted and then he, he came back a few years later as, as I think first chief scout and then head of recruitment and by that time you know this is only probably about four years later after he had left his manager but by this time we were a different club altogether a different proposition a different culture different philosophy and it was so interesting to hear him speak about the difference how far the club had already come in you know four or five years and uh, Andy stayed with us for another few years and then of course at, at the end of our journey he was there again you know in the opposition dugout in, in the playoffs not only when we knocked out Swansea in the semi-finals but when we beat him in the final as well and uh, although he was with Swansea then he was 
so pleased to, to see see us finally make it. You, you, you could tell from what you were saying and uh, seeing, hearing him talk about it. The, the journey as a whole and how much it had changed over the years at Brentford was, 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 was amazing stuff. It was really, it is really great to have him part of this. Um, you know, equally, I mean, this is a, this is a bit of a negative, but I, th- I think it was something I found remarkable when putting the book together. It was a quote that came to us very late from Mark Chapman, who was um, Bees United. Um, uh, a board member um, for a couple of seasons and he was he was at Dagenham and Redbridge the night that it was decided that Andy Scott was going to be sacked basically um, and he, he was standing next to Scott when his phone went and it was Matthew Benham and he was he was being summoned in the next day to be given his marching orders you know and, and the, you know, the quote in the book is you know Mark wasn't comfortable at all with that because he, he witnessed firsthand that you know someone was about to be, be given their their sandwiches wrapped up in a roadmap and you know at that time it was un, it was unsure where, where the next step was for Andy Scott who who you know to his to his in, to his eternal credit was the player was the sorry the player and and a manager that won titles with, with Brentford. Um, but he started off, he got us back out of that basement, which was, was critical. Um, later, later on, you know, promotions under, under Mark Warburton, um, and Uwe Rosler talks about it being his team that, that were promoted out of, out of, the, out of, the, um, out of League One. Um, and then obviously it was Thomas Frank was the one that actually got us over the line to the promised land. You know, so, it's, so it's been a never end. It's been, it's real. It really is pinch yourself stuff. Some of this, some of this journey. John. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. There are a couple of bits as I read through the book that, that have. So I was very impressed actually by how Warburton spoke. I thought that was very eloquent, and he's very respectful towards the club. The Rosler bit is interesting because Rosler was a, a handbrake manager. We get a goal ahead, and he put the handbrake on, and we did have a good run just before he went. But Warburton got us up by playing good attacking football and by not putting the handbrake on and sometimes we lost 3-0 because we were wide open but do you know what we won a lot of games by a lot of goals so whatever subsequently happened with Mark Warburton and Matthew Burnham and the club that was very sad um, you know his period of management you have to look back at as being a really enjoyable part of the ride we do we cover the Mark Warburton era and the departure a lot um, it would be wrong to have glossed over that because it was a it was a divisive time um, for fans. Um, you know, some some people thought it was just the, the I just couldn't see how we could move forward beyond that point. And you know, um, uh, uh, it was a fact that um, that Matthew Benham was painted uh, as a as a devil really, um, and he was he was untrusted, um, and, and his motives for the decision were 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 really really sort of like ripped apart. And it's only been re- fairly recently that you know um, it, it, could, it couldn't have been proved to be any more of the right decision. Tim, speaking speaking to, um, to 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 Mark Warburton about that time and looking back at that era, it, it's it's still it's still quite contentious. It's still quite raw for some people. Yeah. I think it took until we got promoted to the Premier League for some supporters to, to still not be saying we should never have sat Warburton. Um, but I, I think it was important to speak to him. I think he got his side across. I think we got both sides across. Um, and as you say, he came across really honestly. He still spoke very 
respectfully of Brentford and, uh, and, and of Matthew. Um, he, he revealed that they sort of still, still have a, a kind of contact to an extent. You know, I, I think uh, I think he said I think they exchanged text messages respectfully after after Brentford got promoted, and it, it's nice to see that you know it, it would, clearly their relationship will never be what it once was. But it's nice to see there's a, a bit of respect there now, and a, and, and a bit of uh, bit of thankfulness for what each of them done for each other. And it was it was interesting as well. It was fascinating because um, we we spoke to Rasmus Ankerson, who was one of the co-directors of football for for several years. Um, we spoke to him just after he'd left to go to Southampton, so it was it, it wasn't like the gloves were off, and he was able to you know he, he's always a he's always a very open, and very intelligent um, man. Anyway, I don't think I don't he wouldn't he never says anything he doesn't want to say. Um, hearing him speak about that time and also hearing Ted Knutson um, talk about that on, on his podcast uh, and he, he gave some of the background to the, to the signings that happened after that um, and Phil Giles talks about that summer where you know we were signing anyone and anyone everyone mm. and anyone lot too many foreign players came in um, it was very difficult for any cohesion, any kind of, uh, you know, they, could, they couldn't hit the ground running because there was, there was just too many wheels spinning, you know, there was too much change. But, you know, we cover that a lot as well. You know, so it's not all about, you know, green tick, green tick, green tick and, and just having success all the way. You know, we do cover, it is warts and all, but of course we're moving in the right direction. You know, to, not, not to wrap this up, but, you know, Going back to the book specifically, John, what what's surprised you? I mean, obviously you know the story inside out already, but there's still a lot to, to learn, is there not? Oh no, I'm still don't get me wrong, I'm still still surprised that we've been promoted and, and won some playoff finals and things along the way. It's that's not the Brentford way, is it? It's quite quite the opposite. Um, I think I was surprised by um, how quick the journey is, because. Um, we're not talking like, you know, we didn't go up consecutive seasons, clearly. And we sort of hung around probably a little bit in the Championship when we were one of the better teams we didn't quite make it. But actually, as I say, we were on the brink of going out of business. We're now one of the better run Premier League football teams. And we play, you know, within the remit of, of the resources available, attacking football against Manchester City. We've just won the last game we played in the Premier League at Manchester City by attacking them in extra time, where other teams would have purely hunkered in. So that that change in our ethos, I've watched a load of awful football over the years. I think like many people, I just turned up to see my mates really, and occasionally cheer a goal. And, and again, looking back through the years, you've got all the highs, but you've got the, you know, the, the 4-0 pitchgate defeat at, at Griffin Park, you've got that win where we were two 0 up at QPR and we drew two all, and you've got all of these moments of sadness, but then you've got these real explosions of joy. The and, and they can be really important moments, like winning a playoff, or it can be Philip Hoffman scoring a deflected 90s minute winner against Forest in a game where we were down to ten men. But they provide these explosions of joy, and I think for me, that's what I enjoyed most about the book is remembering all those happy moments and how brilliant actually the last 10 to 12 years have been as a Brentford fan. Tim, tell, tell us what, what, what's, what's been the biggest surprise to you or what's given you the most pleasure while, while putting the book together? You mentioned that Raz interview actually, that, that, that was perfect timing wasn't it? Because it was I think two days after we beaten Southampton 3-0 so uh, <laughs> 
I think we've done well to get a couple of hours of his time and uh, for him to speak so uh, eloquently to us for, for a couple of hours. So, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that was brilliant. Um, I quite enjoyed, I, I mentioned Andy Scott, I, I, I quite enjoyed speaking to a lot of the people from that era. You know, we mentioned all the managers, but we speak to some, quite a lot of players from that era as well. Guys like Marcus Bean, Sam Saunders, Charlie McDonald's, you know, real kind of club legends. And I find it particularly interesting speaking to guys like Beano and Saunders who have come back to the club now in different capacities. Um, I think both of them are working with the B team in recruitment in, in some capacity. And hearing them talk about the difference from when they were players at the start of our journey to, to what the, to, to the club they're working at now and that, that just brings it home to you you know we, we, we sort of almost get a bit blase now like, oh, we're just beating another Premier League team and you know it's kind of getting a bit like uh, you want to take it granted now but then you look back to where we came from where we had Bino and Saunders and Richard Lee playing for us and you, you, you can't help thinking wow <laughs> I, lo- I love being able to sit down with Rico Henry um, and Sergi Canos and, and Thomas Frank at the training grounds um, back in July, I think it was, and just realising that how what still what elite athletes and elite players they are and personalities, but it's just still the perfect fit for Brentford. You know, it's still you know we, we are changing, we are evolving, and it, you know we, we we're not the Brentford we were, but we're not a million miles removed from that. And listening to John Varney explain that, you know, that is still within the club's DNA is to do things. You know, Cliff Graham famously said once, you know, money is not our God. Um, It may be more of our, we may worship money a little bit more than we ever used to. And, you know, with 150, 170 million pounds coming our way, it's hard really not to, you know, be slightly more obsessed with how much players cost, how much players are going to come in, you know, and, and our survival isn't necessarily linked anymore to the players that go. But maybe still, that's part of, you know, the, the Brentford way. Um, that might change, we'll see in the coming years. But, you know, I'm just delighted that it was us that put the book together. I'm delighted with how it's come out. I'm delighted with how it's being received. The book's now available in the Brentford Club shop, if that's where you would like to buy it. It's available on Amazon. Um, It's available through the Legends Publishing website. So if you haven't got it already, uh, please do. Um, If you haven't uh, got a Christmas present yet, um, if you haven't asked Santa for anything, make sure you don't get a pair of socks. Make sure you ask Auntie Ethel to get you the Brentford Revolution book. And uh, I hope you enjoy reading it as much as we enjoy putting it together. John? And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, <coughs> but um, I particularly enjoyed something that happened in November 2014, um, which is when, in the last minute, Potter scored against Fulham. Oh, yes. And that made me very, very happy. And reading about it again in the book. Did you, maybe did, did you, very, very did you happy. Wee yourself? Well, I was in bed at the time, so uh, I, I have pads, so it's fine. It doesn't <laughs> that, really that whole period or something else, wasn't it? That kind of November time, November 2000, uh, no, 2014, not 2004, um, when, we, when it became clear that we weren't going to be all sore ends in the championship, we weren't going to be struggling. I think Derby at home when we beat him in the last minute through Stuart Dallas was yeah. the, the turning point for me. We went on that brilliant run through through November and we were playing some, probably the best football in the championship at that point as well. And 
that was just dreamland at that yeah, time. Alex, Alex Pritchard was player's player that year as a, as a run up to Diego Roger, <laughs> yeah. and at that time was probably again I mean, the most gifted. Yeah, what what frontline that was? Oh, yeah, Pritchard, Jaji, Dallas, Gray. Fabulous. And, and weirdly, in, in almost a perverse way, I actually really enjoyed reading back the report that I wrote after we lost to Doncaster um, mm. in, in you know with you know where where we should have been celebrating where we should have been celebrating promotion and, and doing a pitch invasion there was a giant police horse having a giant pee in the centre circle and where you know if Trotter had scored that goal we would have gone up and you know it, it was just like the most twisted set of circumstances and events that followed that where the mm. ball cannoned off the bar and went up the other end and, and, and they scored and they went up as champions and you know it, it, it was just odd but without that moment I don't think we would have mm. appreciated fully what, what came next and equally the, 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 the playoff defeat at, at Wembley against Fulham you know they'll never they'll never stop banging on about that but um, you know I, I just think every everything for a reason and you know I, I think it made that Swansea promotion um, at Wembley all the sweeter and I think we're, we're equipped now and we're equipped to grow now and one of my favourite insights came from around that time um, after Trottergate Donnygate we signed Alan McCormack that summer you might remember and, and, and he said when he came into the club he said you know sometimes after clubs lose a playoff final all the heartache that comes with it you know they uh, they struggle the next season, maybe end up battling relegation. But he said he came into the club and straight away he saw a club that was determined to put it straight behind them and just keep building, keep progressing. And uh, and and he said, although he'd left by the time of the Fulham playoff final, he said it was, it was exactly the same afterwards. We put that final heartache straight behind us, straight away, no mucking about. That's done, it's dusted. Next season we're going to do it. And it happened both times. And I, I liked your, your point about twists though, because the whole twist with Warburton was allegedly around us trying to bring in players like Juricin. Juricin wasn't a great success at Brentford, but my God, in, uh, in, in October 15 or whenever it was, when he scored that goal against QPR, and that was the first time we'd beaten QPR in my lifetime. 60 years, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it made, I'm, not, I'm not that old, Tim, thanks. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that made me so happy. So again, just those moments of joy that you remember. Like, Jersey was worth signing just for that goal, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our little book review. Um, and I hope you enjoy reading the book as well. It's, it's something we're immensely proud of. Um, and it's something I'm going to sit down over Christmas break and, 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 and actually reread because um, when you put together a book, you very rarely kind of get the luxury of sitting down and reading it all when you're not trying to correct spelling mistakes or you're not trying to you know, fine tune it. You know, I'm actually going to sit and enjoy it. And, and, and if you do find any mistakes, don't write in. Yeah, we really don't really <laughs> want to know. Send all your complaints to the Dutchman, Martin Holland, who, <laughs> yeah. I, who I believe uh, yeah. proofread it. Yeah. So, yeah, so once again, yeah, thanks ever so much for listening. Uh, don't forget, if you like our podcast, subscribe um, on Acast or, or, or on Apple or on Google. Um, we'll be back hopefully soon with football to talk about, like real live Brentford matches. Um, so yeah, we're, we're back on Boxing Day for Tottenham. Is our, our next, our next, our next game. All the Danes have returned back, or will be returning back, back from the World Cup. Um, uns- back. Unscathed. <laughs> yeah, the Iranians back. Um, so yeah, we just need um, David Raya to uh, to come back fit and healthy, and all will be good in the world. So yeah, thanks again for listening. 
Don't forget to buy the book, legendspublishing.net, Brentford Football Club's club shop, or from Amazon. Take care. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! No, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five year warranty. And with a bench full of all star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.